Hey everyone, you're locked into Nobody's Perfect, a place to learn from everyone else's mistakes so you don't have to make those same ones. Oftentimes, other people's missteps can be the best teacher, from an executive position to job seekers and just about everyone in between. For LocalJobNetwork.com Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today we'll center our conversation on concerns surrounding the class clown, essentially the potential dangers with using humor in the workplace. And to help us point out the mistakes and determine the best course, Jessica Olenberg, CEO of HRS Inc., has been kind enough to sit with us today. Thanks for stopping by, Jessica. Basically, to get off to a good start, we oftentimes ask our guests to just give a brief description of whether it be your company, your position there, and just your experience overall in the the world of employment. Certainly. HRS is a management consulting firm. We do work on the organizational development and employment law side of things. So our work with class clowns is going to be in workplace productivity, morale, motivation, and also the legal aspects when we talk about anti-harassment and some of the other privacy issues that we may be looking at. Okay, sure, definitely. Obviously, that's a more serious side of things. Um, I guess in general, your experiences, your philosophies, um, so to speak, what's your general view of the use of humor in the workplace? Humor done well is fabulous for the workplace. Humor gone wrong is a terrible thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So when you say it can be fabulous, obviously, are there examples you have or or ways in which it is helpful or beneficial in some realm in the office or in a business-like environment? Most certainly. First of all, a a relaxed mind is a, a productive mind. It's been said that some of the best ideas that we all benefit from have been invented in relaxed places, such as the shower. And humor does relax us. It eases stress. It eases pain. It even boosts energy and inspiration. So it puts us in a place where we can be creative, we can creatively solve problems, and we can better enjoy our surroundings. Sure, definitely. Of course, on the flip side, there are times that it might not be appropriate. Um, just in general, when when other times that maybe it should be avoided. I'm not saying necessarily a subject or a topic, but kind of a general situation when you shouldn't worry about necessarily being the, the funny person. Well, I would first make the distinction between humor and attempted humor. Sure, that's a very good point. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> it needs to be actually funny in order for it to be humor, and attempted humor doesn't always work. However. Humor at somebody else's expense is going to be a problem. Sure. It's going to be a problem for the person whose expense it's at, often as well as the onlookers or anybody else who might share the characteristic that's being poked fun at. Mm -hmm. Kind of to the point you said, I agree that humor can be extremely valuable and it can be a definite skill or trait that somebody has. Kind of with that said, have you actually come across people, whether it be in a hiring process or at a, you know, a place of work, where um, they actually see humor as one of those skills or traits that you, know, you would look at just like uh, any other communication type skill or another soft skill? I mean, is it actually sought after or appreciated as, as far as determining the, the, valuable or the value of an employee? It is. We like job interviews to be very well aligned with the job itself. Mm -hmm. So how someone presents themselves in the job hunting and screening process should be a reflection of how they would behave on the job. And some positions and some aspects of some positions are going to lend themselves very well to humor, especially those which are going to be building relationships and rapport. Others that might be looking to be building serious credibility 
may be distracted by humor. Okay. So with, I mean, within a company then, let's say you have a couple candidates, um, you know, maybe they're vying for a certain position or a project. Can that be some sort of deciding factor as in, you know, this person's humor does tend to relax people or uh, this person's humor, you know, maybe it doesn't come across as funny often or they try too much. I mean, can it be some sort of deciding factor or an, an extra way to gauge somebody's value or, or place in the, in the business? It absolutely can. Certainly we're responding. One of the things that we always look at is only 10 to 20 percent at most of the brain is actually conscious. So we're working with 80 to 90% subconscious. Sure. We like things or don't like things and sometimes can't even put a finger on exactly what we do or don't like about it. But those reactions and responses are real. So if we come across someone in an interview process who puts us ill at ease or is dislikable in some way, we're going to both consciously and subconsciously expect that they may, might be doing the same things when they're establishing relationships both internal and external. Mm. We also look to, are, are you taking this seriously when you should be? Right. When and how much is humor being used? Okay. And I, I mean, since you kind of brought that up, maybe can you elaborate a little bit on how difficult a balance that might be of being serious at a time you should be serious versus using humor as a, an actual tool? I mean, is there some kind of guideline there or is it more of a feeling out process with the situation you're in? There's a great deal of audience adaptation that is going to be involved. And we certainly suggest try humor in small doses. Sure. Yeah. If it doesn't fly, <laughs> please back off. <laughs> Good. You know, with that said, obviously in the workplace, there are a lot of relationships that are built, some more casual, just kind of seeing people passing by, others are, are, are stronger. But in terms of in the workplace with coworkers and the use of humor, I guess what are some of those those dangers as far as trying to be funny and especially as you talked about, maybe in, in places where you're um, you know making light of someone or some sort of prank type thing. The intent isn't necessarily malicious. I mean, the person is generally just trying to be funny, but what are some of those dangers that come about from trying to do those types of things? Well, some of the dangers, there is a certain culture that believes that teasing or razzing is okay. Mm -hmm. And there is a certain culture that believes that is never okay. Sure. So we always recommend treading lightly there. Uh, some audience members will never go for that, even if it's well executed. Mm -hmm. Again, that becomes humor at someone's expense. Right. And that's a really, really delicate issue. Pranks. We look at safety. Pranks, you want to think about physical pranks that create safety problems actually in the workplace. Check your company handbook. <laughs> <laughs> the prank may be you just lost your job. <laughs> <laughs> it's good you brought that up because I, I, yeah, I mean, I would think of a prank. I've never done one in the office. I've, I've done it in other areas, obviously, but. I'm not sitting on a whoopee cushion. No, I got nothing for okay, you today. That would have been a good idea. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, to bring up the point of safety because. You know, a lot of times if somebody is trying to be funny, they're thinking a one track mind, like, oh, this can be great. And they don't think of, you know, potential consequences. So, I mean, that's a good point to bring up. Uh, I think close to those lines, obviously a prank, you're talking physical safety um, with sarcasm. I mean, some people get it. Some people don't. I think it's extremely difficult to, to do it well to a point where you're not hurting someone's feelings or, or you're not, you know, maybe giving them an impression that you didn't want. Um, in terms of sarcasm, Specifically, I mean, what what are you kind of what's kind of your advice with that? There are a few risky factors, excuse me, with with sarcasm. One is that it's simply an insincere remark. Mm -hmm. 
it is somewhat of a masked remark, and that creates insincerity, and it's going to put your credibility on the line. Uh, Additionally, it usually has a negative tone. If we're being sarcastic, we're usually being very dry-humored about something that isn't going well or that we're not feeling very positively about. And um, negativity is very easy to buy into as well. Mm -hmm. We know that. It's not a good place to be the person who brings you there. Sure. And that kind of leads us to the the last level, so to speak, of, you know, things that would be deemed as inappropriate. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be in the realm of illegal, but obviously if it's inappropriate, it's borderline in and of itself. Uh, I guess just your thoughts on, on what type of things really are just inappropriate. Do not touch it. Even if it's a close friend that you have in the office, do it at home. Don't do it at work kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, the EEOC does give us a a great many ideas of what the protected characteristics are. And in our anti-harassment workshops, we always teach people to be aware that everyone they meet is probably in some protected class, especially because now we have classes that have nothing to do with minorities, family status and military status. Everybody has one. Whether you have or haven't engaged, that's still a status. And therefore, we do want to take those seriously. We do want to keep abreast of what is and isn't protected. A company handbook is a good place to go to get a list of those and, and be mindful of what that might be. But beyond that, as you were talking about, it's not just the participants that are at risk. It's the onlookers. It's Mm -hmm. the third party. Two people who are engaging in flirtation, for instance, on the work floor, and both of them know that there's no seriousness there. They're not they're not actually dating. There's no romantic involvement. It's just banter and it's okay with them. A third person looking at that may feel sexually harassed because they don't know that there's nothing going on. Mm -hmm. Their perception is that something might be going on, and now they're wondering, what do they need to do to get ahead? So it's that third person that can also be very, very risky. And the same is going to happen with any nationality or racial slurs. You'll have different groups calling each other by their bigoted names, and it's fine because they're all giving as good as they're getting. Right. But somebody watching all of this may feel harassed, and that becomes a bigger problem. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a good point, because a lot of times, obviously, we're always looking at ourselves first, and then who we're talking with, and we don't consider, I mean, a boss could be watching, a peer, uh, a client of some sort, I mean, right. and, and the effect it could have. I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, I guess in general then, um, and we'll get into maybe some more specific stuff also, if someone does kind of see themselves as a class clown or the office comedian, what would be just your, your general advice and tips? I know you kind of touched on a little bit there, you know, small doses kind of thing. Um, right. But any maybe broad spectrum guidelines that you could give somebody that does see themselves in that light? Well, I would absolutely ensure that humor is at no one's expense. Sure. If, if, if it's a victimless crime, you're on much safer ground than if someone is perceiving that they are being targeted by the humor, mm-hmm. even if they're not actually being targeted. If they're perceiving they're being targeted, that's a problem. Right. And as you said, keep it in small doses. Think carefully before you speak. <laughs> <laughs> common sense, but... <laughs> There's nothing less common than sense, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you mentioned about, like, you know, you may not be directly talking about someone, but they might take it that way. One of the kind of statistics I had jotted down was about 
people freely admitting that, yeah, I've made fun of someone's age or their weight. Uh, I mean, do you see that as a common issue? Because, you know, it's something that's, in general, it's, it's very visible to everyone. Right, right. And I think we forgive ourselves on making fun of other people's age because mm-hmm. ideally we're all going to age. Right. That's that's the hope is mm-hmm. that we all have the opportunity to age and therefore we're all in the same boat and we're poking fun at our future selves if we're not already there. But certainly people who are already there might be feeling more sensitively about it. Sure. And as far as the weight, people don't realize that some people think that weight is a choice and it, not all the time it is. Certainly we can make bad choices that lead to being overweight, but there are so many other factors and they are protected. They're protected by our medical privacy laws. They're protected as a disability. Mm-hmm. Now they're also protected by GINA, which goes into the Genetic Information Act and being predisposed through our genetic heritage for that obesity. So there are a lot of legal things, but people are very, very sensitive, especially if they are overweight regardless of anything that they're trying to do. And I guess it's kind of along those same lines, not not entirely. Um, I just jotted down the idea that the thoughts and feelings that people might have, not not from the idea that, oh, you're hurting my feelings or you shouldn't make fun of people, but, you know, you have that person who just all the time needs to be funny or tries to be funny. What what kind of feelings or, or thoughts do people have towards that person if it just seems like it's overdone and they're, they're trying too hard? What kind, of, what kind of atmosphere does that create maybe around that person? Well, for that person, they're typically viewed as having a personality flaw, quite (laughs) frankly. (laughs) If you're trying too hard, the word too being the operative word, means that somebody else thinks it's excessive. So Mm. they're going to have a reaction to that. Uh, Certainly we look at, are they desperately seeking attention? Are they desperately trying to deflect attention? Are they a high maintenance person? Is this person going to be very demanding in our work day? Okay. And um, that becomes very, very awkward. We're trying to stay with a task at hand. It may take a lot of focus and energy. And now we've got a big distraction in the room that's making it harder. Right, right. So let's take it back to the interview um, before you even have the job. You touched a little bit on that. But as far as trying to be funny, trying to show that side of you, I mean, because that may very well be a a big part of someone's personality. Sure. What are kind of the pros and cons as far as in the actual interview room of of trying to use that humor? It would be exactly proportionate to the job that you're doing. Okay. And there will be some cases where it's not appropriate to be funny. <laughs> it just sounds funny. Not appropriate to be funny. I, was, I like that phrase. I'm gonna use it's that. kind of funny when you think about it. <laughs> uh, you do want to be audience adaptative as well. Sure. And if your interviewer isn't going for it, again, please back off. Small doses work. Test the waters a mm-hmm. little bit because even though you may feel that it's necessary to your job, your interviewer may not. Right. And you still need to get past your interviewer. Looking at that, we also recommend get an idea of where your interviewer falls in the scheme of things. You want to be screening jobs to the same extent that they're screening you. Mm -hmm. If your interviewer is your future boss, that makes a far different impact on your behavior than if your interviewer is someone that you may never really interact with or might even wind up being a supervisor to. Mm -hmm. 
And certainly at that point, you just want to get past them okay. to the next level. Right. So that audience adaptation, take that with a grain of salt, so to speak, and get an idea of where that person's going to fit into your career if you, if you go that route. Again, be proportionate to the job at hand. Try to know the job description. Try to know what the job requirements are. Sometimes we don't have that information. We go into an interview more cold, needing to ask those questions. And then we're going to want to feel our way through by getting reactions and then responding to that. I like that you brought up in the interview that depending on even who you are interviewing with as far as their place in the company, how that can play a factor. And that leads me into similarly when you're already in the office and you have a job there, um, how big of a consideration is it or how acceptable is it to be joking around with, you know, someone who's seen as your peer, so to speak, as opposed to maybe a manager one level up or, you know, the head honcho, a CEO, somebody that, you know, maybe you're not around as much. I guess where's the balance as far as acceptability with humor and, and joking around that kind of thing? Because I think it always plays into a factor of, well, you don't know how they're going to view you, especially people that are above you. Certainly, certainly. Insubordination, obviously, is something that we need to look at first and foremost. And if we are showing public disrespect mm-hmm. in any way to somebody that we are reporting to or maybe that we're not reporting to but others in the room are reporting to, that's a serious problem for the organization. People need to trust the credibility of the people that are giving them instruction. We need to trust the credibility of our leadership and anything that tears down that respect or credibility derails motivation and productivity and just derails how we feel about our job. Sure. In the same vein, somewhat, how big of a difference is there, too, if you're, if you're talking about a one-on-one conversation versus in a group, like, say, a team meeting of some sort or a morning meeting? You have a bigger audience if you're the class clown in the meeting, so obviously you may act differently one-on-one. You may not even throw out that humor. Um, I guess from your experiences and, and just philosophy in general, what's kind of the, the takeaway from one-on-one conversations versus that person being in a group? There is a dramatic difference one-on-one versus in a group or public setting. Mm -hmm. One-on-one, you have an opportunity to banter with the other individual, regardless of rank, at a level that is comfortable for both of you, and you have immediate feedback to that. In a group, however, you can't necessarily gauge the reactions and perceptions of many others. And therefore, you need to be far more guarded than you would in a Mm one-on-one. A one-on-one, you also have the opportunity to immediately correct anything that might have been misinterpreted. You can focus on the other individual. If you're in the same room, you've got body language, eye contact, a lot of nonverbal cues that you can also play off of to make sure that you're ending on an agreeable note. In a group, you can't monitor all those people at once. And even with that, whether it's one-on-one or in a group situation, there are going to be times, not necessarily with everybody, but there are going to be times that someone does get offended, whether, as you said, it was directed at them or not. It doesn't really matter at that point. What is kind of the protocol in your mind as far as that person who, who did feel you know, hurt or offended or in some way as far as how they handle that? I mean, is that something you deal first with that individual? Um, do you immediately talk with like an immediate supervisor type thing? What, what's kind of the ideal situation as far as handling that goes? If we're talking about an apology, 
we want the apology to be as visible as the offense. Okay. And we certainly don't want to embarrass the person further by apologizing too much or bringing it to the attention of people who never witnessed the offense. Sure. Thereby exacerbating and, and snowballing the whole situation. So we do want to be mindful of the other individual's comfort. Okay. And that may take a private apology. But again, if it was highly visible to a number of people. Like, and in, we, a, like in a group setting? Yes. Thing? Okay. Yes. And it was very obviously offensive right. or insulting. Then a public apology in the same group okay. as quickly as possible would be the course of action. I mean, is there a time that a supervisor or manager type should get involved? I mean, does that only happen if you know, the person isn't willing to, to give that apology or see it in the, the same vein as the uh, person who was offended? I, I guess, at what point should there be some sort of stepping in from, from personnel above them? Sure. Employers do look for people who have conflict management skills. So any opportunity we have to demonstrate our ability to diffuse a, a conflict is certainly to our advantage and also leads by example to others. And uh, certainly no organization wants to get into the minutia of every little conversation and start micromanaging that. We do want to be able to expect judgment sure. from people, and we want to show them that we trust them to resolve these issues on their own as well. So the first course is typically to try to resolve it without management intervention. but. I would precursor that to say it really depends on the instruction and the policy that was given to you. Mm -hmm. Some handbooks may give you specific guidance in certain cases, especially perceived harassment, where it, they don't want you necessarily to go immediately to the offender, but to talk to maybe a dedicated employee relations person mm -hmm. first and then perhaps have that mediated. So check for that because if there are people who are devoted specifically to counseling and employee relations, they may be okay. brought into, but that's not necessarily a management intervention. Right. That's a specialist intervention. Okay. So I would make that distinction. Okay. But sure. if it doesn't resolve at that initial level, certainly management needs to be brought in. And you know, you mentioned being able to gauge someone's reaction read them via body language or any maybe little comments that were made. Um, what came up as a question with some of my colleagues was, well, how about in emails? Where, I mean, it's so common to send a funny picture with a caption or maybe you try to be funny in some way, which obviously doesn't always come across because you don't have inflection, you don't have tone, that kind of thing. I mean, I guess just your general thought on using humor pictures, funny pictures in emails, whether it be internally or even to somebody you're working with outside the office. Sure. Sure. We love emails. <laughs> emails are such a time saver. Yeah. And if you're using your filters and your folders correctly, you've got your priorities pre-sorted for you and you can rapid fire through your day with attention at hand and minimal distraction, which is great for energy and focus. That being said, as you mentioned, we lose the visibility of the nonverbal cues. We cannot then control misinterpretations and we do not have visibility right. of misinterpretations. We don't know. We, we're not watching okay. the reader. So it's, it's a guess. Right. It's, right. it's absolutely <laughs> a guess. That being said, we do have to get into some sensitive areas from time to time in email. 
from an organizational communication standpoint, we do recommend that we're not handling everything via email, that when we're talking about sensitive subjects, we try to get one-on-one. Right. We try to use email to perhaps advance an agenda and set a time, but perhaps the meeting itself happens one-on-one uh, via video conference or via in-person, depending on the geography of it. But when we do need to broach a sensitive subject, to end it with some humor can ensure that we are ending it on a positive note. Right. It brings it back to being a little bit more lighthearted. What we suggest is using things that are a bit more universally accepted, a pre-tested cartoon. Sure. Maybe not something that was just strictly your idea. <laughs> and again, that attempt to be funny right, versus, yeah. versus actually being funny. Very important key there. <laughs> um, we're getting a little low on time, so I just wanted to, to get to this last thing. And it's again, it's more of a general idea philosophy, but based on your experience, there's obviously you've been uh, out there involved with a lot of this stuff. When dealing with some sort of client or it might be some kind of business transaction, mm-hmm. again, humor can be great, I mean, especially if you already have a relationship with um, that person or people. What would be your biggest piece of advice just to make sure they don't avoid that mistake of, of using humor? Again, it doesn't have to be in the workplace, but it can be with a client of some sort. Um, just what, how do you avoid those mistakes that are really going to cost you? Well, we talked about a lot of things to consider. So first and foremost, I would suggest do your homework. Mm-hmm. Know as much as you can about your audience. Know as much as you can about the law, what's appropriate and uh, what people are finding to be insulting and controversial versus what we're finding to be more universally funny. Know that. And once you've done that, do your best. Effort definitely means a lot. We're certainly judged in business by our results and our outcomes. But um, it does matter whether or not there was malice and whether or not there was effort and whether or not there was reasonable care put into the situation. Right. And I think another point that you had brought up a few times is just make sure you are actually funny and that you're not trying because nobody's comfortable at that point. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that is going to wrap it up for us today here on Nobody's Perfect. Obviously, we want to thank Jessica Olenberg from HRS Inc. for helping us kind of guide our way through some of these potential pitfalls. So again, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Um, you know, be sure to keep checking into localjobnetwork.com radio to continue your learning process. And if you have any comments or suggestions, please email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm Tim Muma, and I hope to talk to you again soon. <laughs>